You are listening to the award-winning The Young Jerks with Mike Crawford. Happy tonight. A lot of big things happening. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, uh, I guess I'll, I'll break, you know, we have a great guest tonight, number one, someone I've wanted to have on the show for a little while now. Uh, he's a candidate for office, and it's an interesting thing tonight because the last Republican running for office, something I said that I would probably never, probably never do again is have a Republican on the show running for office. The last one was John Hugo, who said he was a moderate at the time. He gave Trump uh, some crap right after Heather Heyer uh, got murdered, and uh, Trump people didn't like it, and I think... Uh, that might have emboldened or even pushed John Hugo to go from his moderate take to uh, what he ended up in, uh, which is the super happy fash movement. Uh, so, you know, I've been hesitant to even have consider a Republican on this show, but tonight we are going to actually do that. And there's a reason why the reason why is the candidate for office and uh, who he is and just a good guy. And we're going to have a good discussion, hopefully about what it means to be a Republican, maybe in Massachusetts. And we're, we're going to have a great discussion. Anthony Amore, he's a best-selling author. He, I've seen him on Netflix uh, about the Gardner Museum heist. A lot of people probably saw that movie. Uh, he's, we could talk a lot to him uh, tonight. We also are going to break some news. Uh, we're going to have State Senator Diana DiZoglio is going to be a guest on The Young Jerks Thursday night, September 1st at 7 p.m., uh, so tonight, I'm not endorsing anyone for running for auditor. Uh, we're going to have a number of candidates on for auditor. I guarantee you, uh, some of our fans are also suggesting some other candidates. So we're at least going to have two on. Uh, there's a lot going on. I'm really excited about this new studio. If you like it, let me know. We can actually take your phone calls. <laughs> I am really happy tonight. Uh, yeah, we got a new phone number. Let's bring the guest up. He's waiting patiently through a long intro and all this other stuff that we have to get to. Uh, let's bring him up. But the phone number tonight, too, you can call it 978-560-3155. Wow. Anthony, what's up, man? Hey, Mike. Thank you for breaking your your pledge to have uh, to have no more Republicans on. I'm glad that you gave me a shot. I mean, I, I think the only other Republican I probably would have considered at this point would be Charlie Baker on the way out if he ever wanted to come on, which, yeah, that hasn't happened. He's a great guy. <laughs> he might. You're friends with him, right? I am. Yeah, I'm proud to say I'm friends with him. And I'm, I'm also proud to see, you know, in this campaign for auditor, uh, I'm saying this slightly tongue-in-cheek, but in this campaign for auditor, we've been saying that we're, it's my side that keeps bringing up the issues that the candidates are talking about. I'm glad to see I'm... I'm leading the way coming on your show and Diana uh, is um, uh, has decided to do it too. Yes. And I'm interested tonight to talk to you about the issues. I would, before we do that though, cause you're a best-selling author. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. You've yeah. also been in some Netflix, at least one Netflix movie. I saw you in the Netflix movie about the Gardner, Isabella Gardner uh, museum heist. Yes. I, uh, I'm, you see me, I, I, wouldn't do interviews for it, but you see me when they're showing action shots of uh, house searches and that sort of thing. But I wouldn't 
participate in in the interviews and such and you have a a long track record of being someone that's in, involved in investigations and security and things like that right very long yeah so for um for just over 30 years i've been doing this sort of work i can't believe it's gone by that fast but um back in 1991 i started with the federal government i had graduated in english literature i didn't have plans to do what i did to be frank but um I started with the federal government with the Immigration Service. They used to call it the INS back then, for five years. And, and man, it was the great memories I had there. You know, people always think of the INS as the guys that grab the people coming here illegally. But, like, a big part of what we did was facilitate people coming to the United States. You know, you get to meet people who were immigrating here. You got to go to um, naturalization ceremonies, which is such an amazing thing to watch. I don't know if you've seen one, but it's just really cool. And, um, uh, and now I think a lot about the fact that I used to get to process refugees coming into the United States. And, and unless you get to interview these people, um, you don't understand what they've gone through and what it means to be a refugee to the United States and what an honor it is to be part of that process. Um, giving refuge to asylees, I mean, what can be a greater honor than that? So after I did that for five years, I, I had this goal of separating my career into five-year segments because I'm obsessed with the idea of how finite life is. Um, so I did that for five years, and then I was a federal agent in aviation security for five years, and then 9-11 happened, and I was asked to help build the team at Logan to rebuild security immediately after. So I always say I had like uh, a few direct reports working for me. I was assistant director, and then all of a sudden I had 1,200 federal employees reporting to me. It was madness. Um, and just to wrap this up, after we finished getting everything going at Logan, um, I was asked to take over compliance and enforcement for security at, uh, at Logan Airport. Um, and we did so well. That's auditing, by the way. And we did so well, I was asked to go to Washington and help set it up for the country. But in 2005, I felt like I accomplished everything I wanted to with the government. I had done my third five-year increment. And um, I, I went over to work at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum doing security there, which is a great departure, right? One day you're working on stopping terrorism, the next day you're trying to stop people from damaging fine arts, like massive departure. But I also am responsible for the investigation, looking for the missing paintings um, that I've been working on for 17 years now. Um, and I do a lot of this stuff on the side as well. I have a, I'm a private investigator doing stuff related to art and audits, um, uh, 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 just to keep myself sharp. So that's basically my career. But along the way, I learned a lot about art crime. And I wrote three books. And I was fortunate enough for all three to be bestsellers in one way or another. And I just love writing books. And I'll continue to do so. Excellent. And what? so now you're running for Massachusetts State Auditor. Right. Which a lot of people probably don't even know what that is or does. Tell us why you decided to run for auditor and what that office is all about. Well, it's that's the most pertinent question, Mike. When I when I campaign and you talk to people and you tell me running for auditor, they'll say, "Is that a city thing? Is that um, you know what what is the auditor?" And no, it's a statewide office. It's one of six constitutional offices, and it's really important. It's an important job. And um, I I spoke to Governor Baker and, and made the decision. He had told me if he hadn't run for governor, he would have run for state auditor because it's that important a job. And I have a ton of respect for Governor Baker and. Um, uh, I decided to run because it, it gives you the opportunity 
to bring transparency to the taxpayers. And when I say transparency, that is just honestly a buzzword that every politician throws out there. I'll be transparent. But I really sincerely mean it. And the reason I, I emphasize it is because the state auditor is the chief accountability officer. And I try to get across to people. That doesn't mean the state would be accountable to me. It means I make the state accountable to you, Mike. Right? I, sh I will find the information about waste, fraud, and abuse by examining every state agency every three years. And then the most important part, which never happens, is once you find the problems and you find issues, I'll bring it to the taxpayer, to the resident of Massachusetts, so you know what's going on with your tax dollars. So it's a really important job. And I'm, I'm, I've been doing this work for 30 years. I'm, I'm ready to do it for the state. Thank you. We have Anthony Amori here. He's running for Massachusetts uh, State Auditor. You're going to be on the primary ballot as a Republican, correct? I will be, yes. I have no uh, primary opponent, though, so I'm, I'll be going right through to November. So yeah, I'm guessing you've got the endorsement of the uh, Republican uh, establishment in the state? Um, I have the endorsement of Charlie Baker and Karen Polito. We're going to be announcing endorsements from a number of other prominent Massachusetts moderate Republicans that I think uh, you would say, boy, that's, you know, that's someone I respect and they did a good job here. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a moderate and I think that the auditor above all should be middle of the road, should be independent, frankly. Um, that's why even when the primaries are over and we have a, a gubernatorial race, I'm not going to say who I would vote for because I think the auditor should stay independent and not take sides. So um, I'm a moderate Republican running for office, but I really believe that auditors should be professional and not political. Excellent. Again, we're with Anthony Amore uh, for Massachusetts State Auditor. He's going to be on the ballot in the primary and in the general election. He's got a number of notable endorsements, including Governor Charlie Baker uh, that we've mentioned several times now. Um, with with the auditor, th there's a number of government agencies. I'm, I'm sure you're considering what you would audit. Uh, there's also uh, discussion even on your website about tax rebates. So there's a lot of different ways I want to go with this. Cannabis is definitely one of the angles I want to talk about tonight, the Cannabis Control Commission. Sure. Um, but before we get there, I want to ask about taxes themselves, because right now in Massachusetts, it seems like we have a surplus, a tax surplus. Is that correct? We do in a couple of different ways. So we have a tax surplus, yes, and we have a budgetary surplus, too, because of money we receive from the federal government based on um, what happened with COVID and the, the different stimulus plans from Washington. However, in terms of tax revenue, in, and I'm going to try to explain it in, in, in really basic terms, in 1986, a referendum was passed in Massachusetts that essentially said if tax revenue increases, so if the amount of money in the state's tax coffers increases at a rate that exceeds income, then money has to go back to the taxpayer. And right now that amount is about $3 billion. And this hasn't happened since 1987, right? So we're talking uh, 35 years since this has actually happened. It's only happened once before. And this money has to go back to the taxpayers. And we were the first ones out with this. On August 4th, as soon as we saw the law, it's Section 62F, 
it says this, what I just described. And it also says that if the state doesn't do this by September 20th, then 24 taxpayers can file a petition with the state uh, Supreme Judicial Court and demand the money go back to taxpayers, to your listeners and to you and to me. And um, we got the 24 people. We have uh, former U.S. Attorney Mike Sullivan who's going to represent us. And on September 21st, first thing in the morning, if this money isn't earmarked back to the taxpayer, we'll be serving papers in the Supreme Judicial Court. Other groups have joined on since then, but we were the the first to get uh, to get this out to the public. Now, some I'm sure some of our uh, progressive supporters won't really love that part of it. Won't. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, they're going to say there's money. There's money that could be used for programs to fund other things. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you're but well, you're right on on surface, right? But if this three billion dollars goes back to the taxpayer, goes into people's pockets. That doesn't mean the state won't have any other money to go back for tax rebates, right? So there's a difference. So it's not, this law doesn't say that every penny above what the state is supposed to have goes back to the taxpayer. The state will still have a surplus that it can spend um, on these different programs that progressives care about. But this is a surplus beyond what people are earning, right? So, so try to think about that conceptually. Your, your earnings are going like this, but the tax dollars are going like that. And it should be even, right? I think we would all agree on the progressives, conservatives, everybody would agree that it should be in accordance with the law. So it's just for this extra $3 billion that has to go back. Let me ask you a couple other things about taxation because there's taxing high net earners is mm -hmm. you know, always a subject to debate in Massachusetts. It seems like it's gathering steam. It seems like it's been closed, but you know, ballot questions got knocked off and things happen like that. Uh, whether it's legal, I guess that's another question. But how do you feel about taxing high net worth individuals? We're talking people making millions of dollars a year. Well, you know, that's, I love how you said that, Mike, because that's the crux of the issue. If you just said millions, right? But how much exactly should be taxed? And we have to really carefully examine what the repercussions of increasing taxes on the wealthiest people, without a doubt, the wealthiest people should at least be paying their fair share. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they should pay less than anybody else or they should have a, ha a heavier tax burden. But we have seen in state after state, the most recent example being New Jersey, I believe, that when you increase taxes on the wealthiest people in the state, they leave the state, right? So it sounds like a great idea, but when they leave, you're losing um, uh, revenue, uh, you're losing jobs, so this is important. Now, again, I'm not saying that the wealthiest people shouldn't be taxed more. What I am saying is that you have to be careful about what that amount is and how you come to that amount, right? Are you a millionaire if your home has a net worth of a million dollars, right? Are you? Um, it's debatable, right? If are you a million, it, you know, so they, they say, well, you have this solid asset um, that's worth a million dollars. So yeah, you're a millionaire. But, you know, in, Mass in Boston, the median home price is $900,000, right? It's almost a million, uh, and it'll be there before you know it, the way house, housing is increasing. So Getting crazy. Right. So who do you want to deem a millionaire? And if you want it, all right, so let's suppose it's a... What do you think the number is then? Like, is there a number that you'd be happy with where you'd say, okay, at this much net worth or this much income, I guess it's either, I mean, that's the thing that bothers me a lot of times is, 
I, I think that we don't look at both of those numbers. I think we should look at both of those numbers in a lot of these decisions. But it's hard to figure out someone's net worth in a lot of cases, especially if they're not being honest about it. So True. it's already hard enough to figure out people's net, you know, income. They have to, you know, the IRS has to find out that info, I guess. <laughs> it's hard for people to figure it out for themselves. I mean, it's, it's so. That, Mike, that's such a great point, though. Think about the IRS trying to establish what your taxable income is, right? Or even an individual like myself. Like every right. year, I'm worried that I screwed up something. Oh, my like, God. Did I, mean, I forget something? Did I not fill out this one question? I'm not even sure what the hell this means in the software. It's so crazy. It's absurd, right? So if you use TurboTax, which is brilliant, right? TurboTax is a brilliant thing. It's a great tool for consumers. But, man, when you do TurboTax, when you're done, whew, you hope that you did it right, even no matter how easy it seems. You know, it it's really hard thing. So when you think about how hard it is to determine what's taxable income and what your worth is and what your earnings were, you have to be careful. Because remember, if you raise taxes on millionaires, say uh, a landlord with a home, that, uh, a home with apartments in it that's worth one and a half million dollars, I, I, again, I'm not saying they shouldn't be taxed more, but what I am saying is they're going to pass the taxes on to the to the tenants, right? It's going to get passed. They're not going to take it out of their own pockets. They're going to raise raise rents. So we have to be careful about what we do. I can't give you a number as I sit here because I want to be honest with you. What is a person that should be taxed more? Um, but obviously there are people that have ex extreme wealth that you do understand they should be paying not the same percentage as me, but a higher percentage. Definitely. Um, let's go to sticking with, you know, the taxation issue. The thing that I've been bringing up with taxation is the cannabis tax. I feel like it's too damn high in the state. Uh, we voted for one thing in 2016. It got overwhelmingly voted in and then the governor charlie baker with his partner bob DeLeo, they immediately rewrote a lot of the law and a big part of that was raising the taxation and not just the taxation but raising the regulations too that would make it so expensive to operate in this space to even open and so it you know twofold is kind of to me screwed up the whole industry in a lot of ways where it's so expensive and the product is usually so subpar, unfortunately, and there's not much we can do about it because of the extreme cost to open and operate in the state. Um, I want to see the tax get reduced, at least to back to what we actually voted in 2016. Um, how do you feel about all of that? Well, a couple of things. First, I have to thank you because you educated me on this topic. I was not aware that people were going to, I think you said Maine, was it New Hampshire as well? Where, where a, lot, you know, a lot of people from New Hampshire go to Maine, too. Thank yeah, you. New okay. Hampshire stinks, too. New Hampshire is probably even worse than Massachusetts, actually. Okay. Well, I, I hope you can see there's a corollary between what we're talking about here and what we just talked about in terms of taxes, right? If you increase taxes on people too much, they're going to leave, right? Whether it's their income taxes are too high, they're going to leave the state, or the cost of cannabis is too high, and they're going to drive to Maine. And get it there where it's cheaper. And when you think about the fact that you're going to drive that far, well, even you know, it's funny because it's in mass. You know, I want to just clarify one thing so that everyone knows what we're talking about here. When the pay, a lot of the patients, most of the patients from that go, even from people like New Jersey, will drive up to Maine. People from New York, you know, like 
people will drive all over the you know east coast basically to go to maine and it's for medical cannabis now it's funny because cannabis in massachusetts is tax-free for medical patients it's also tax-free for the most part in maine and maine i actually if i go to maine and purchase cannabis cannabis i actually will pay a small a very small local tax to the city or town i don't pay that in massachusetts so the tax aggregately for a patient is lower in maine but it's just the way the system it's it's, it's more than even the taxation but i feel like the taxation is one piece of it and i think the bigger issue is that these cannabis companies in massachusetts their real cost is to be to get into the adult use which has a high taxation so there's a lot of variables here so i want to make sure that we're addressing it because i know our patients know and they're going to think that we're not you know we're off our rockers here so no i don't want to cut in anthony because i know you have a lot to say on this go ahead with your taxation though because i mean i i i really think uh i want to hear what you have to say though about like taxation in massachusetts of cannabis because it is higher on the adult use side than what we're doing for sports gambling um it's pretty much the highest tax i think in anything it's i don't know if anything's taxed higher in massachusetts cannabis this is what's so important about the auditor's office and i talked about the auditor being a, a conduit for information to taxpayers right so let's agree for that taxes are an immutable part of our life we have to pay them it's not discretionary taxes have to be paid whether it's income tax or tax on cannabis or tax when you go to the grocery store or whatever. Um, that's one of the reasons the auditor's office is so important because you need somebody to be making sure that if we're taxing you at this rate, right, and it's pretty high, that that money at least you have the surety that it's being spent wisely and that there's not waste, fraud, and abuse to it. So the number one thing the auditor can do is make sure that, hey, we're getting crippled with taxes and the cost of living is extreme. The cost of housing is extreme. Inflation's at eight and a half percent. For God's sake, let's please make sure my tax dollars aren't being wasted, right? So that's the number one part. The number two is bringing issues like the one you just described to me, and again, you educated me on this, um, to the fore because most people don't know this, right? I guarantee you that most people who aren't listening to the young jerks don't know that, you know, for adult use of cannabis, people are driving from Massachusetts to Maine because of this tax. That's really, it impacts the owners of the cannabis dispensaries here in Massachusetts too. Now, I also learned from you about the difference between who is able to get or was able to get a um, dispensary and the way it was favored towards wealthier people um, being able to. And I'm concerned, one of the things I would want to look at as auditor is the ability for people from marginalized communities, um, BIPOC individuals, are they able to break into this market as well? And the auditor is uniquely situated to do such a study and to see what are the roadblocks? Because in Massachusetts, there are a lot of really good laws to protect minority businesses, for instance, but in practice, they're not working really well. And if you don't mind, I'll digress just a bit and mention, for instance, um, when there are state contracts that go out, there's a state diversity office and a certain percent are supposed to go to minority owned businesses. Right. But audit after audit show and that not from the auditor's office, but just general audit show that this isn't happening. Right. They're not getting the contracts the way that they were supposed to. Well, 
one of the one of the problems is that there's a Pacheco law that says these contracts for uh, the, these minority-owned businesses have to pay their employees wages and benefits equal to what state employees get paid. And a lot of times they're not in a position to do that. So it's a catch-22, right? So that's why the auditor has to be able to get into the weeds on these things on behalf of the taxpayer and figure out, hey, the law has a really nice intention, but here's the side impact that you're not aware of because you live, you have your family and you have a job and you don't have time to to track all these things. This is what the auditor is uniquely positioned to do. These are the sorts of things I want to dig into as auditor on behalf of the taxpayer. Awesome. Um, you know, one of the things I want to reiterate again, too, is that the, the cannabis issue in Massachusetts, the adult use gets taxed just like it does in Maine. Nobody uh, that is going to, you know, basically Maine generally, I don't think for adult use at this point, Maine did things differently. They created a large market for medical cannabis and they did it small time with a bunch of smaller. Um, can, you, can you hear my dog barking in the background right now? Yeah, but it's not disconcerting. I can yeah. I don't know how bad it is for the listeners. I'm wondering if I should go yell at him. Charlie, stop. <laughs> he listens from here. That's good. A room away. What a good dog. Uh, so, uh, you know, you know, basically, uh, it's, it's basically medical cannabis patients are going to Maine. And it's all tax-free. Like, if you have a medical card mask, you're not paying the tax. But it actually has an effect. We're going to take a call. Let's see who we got our first call. This is going to be interesting. We're going to see how this works out. Murph, can you hear me right now? All right, I turn off my Bluetooth. Oh, man. Let me, I actually, wait. I think I might have this. Wait, wait, wait. Murph, stick with me. This is my old producer calling in. This is oh, scary cool. now. Yeah. Oh, shit. Did I screw it up? Hold on, Murph. Let me, let me just uh, check something out. He, no, he's still here. He's a pro. He's going to hang out. No, I got my Bluetooth connected. It should be good. Can you, uh, let's find out. Murph, can you hear us? No, he can't. What's going on here? My Bluetooth is up. Hmm. Roadcast. For Anthony. There we go. Did it work? Are you here? Murph. I, I, yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi, Murph. All right. Hello, Anthony. Hi. Hi. Is that uh, I? I didn't catch the very beginning of the show. Is that uh, what you prefer? Like how you prefer to to go back? Yes, my dad. My dad went by Tony, so I always went by Anthony. There you go. There you go. Um, well, very very interesting uh, to to kind of come into the conversation um, just about tax issues in general, uh, and then the one that, you know, um, is, is kind of a, uh, on the, on the, the young jerk sort of, uh, list of, of topics, the, the cannabis tax. Um, I, you know, I, my first question is kind of, uh, so, you know, you, you said that you learned from Mike about the, the tax issues on cannabis and how it's, uh, causing a lot of adult use consumers to go up to Maine. Um, um, along with maybe this issue, like what, what would be some of the tax issues that you would target on day one in office? Um, and then my second question is what, when you've identified some of these issues, you know, you talked about being able to 
uh, to do an in-depth audit report, um, you know, sort of be the, the communicator for the people on tax issues. Does the office have an enforcement mechanism or, or any way of doing something about uh, any of the issues that your audits uncover? Thank you, Murph. Now, I got to oh. wait before he answers. I just got to say, this is a great question. Pretty awesome to have Brian Murphy calling in, our first caller on the new board. He's my old producer. And now he's here uh, asking questions and testing uh, out my phone line. How am I doing, Murph? Am I doing shitty? Because I used to yell at you. I used to get mad at you. I threw you used shit. to yell at me all the time. It is so nice to be on this side of the line for a change. <laughs> Not getting yelled at or, or getting your dirty looks uh, in the middle, in the middle of the show. But cut him. Now no, I can no, just I'm turn you down. Out. Look, I can just shut you down. I don't need to even go like that. I just, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. You have all the controls now. But uh, the show, the show looks awesome. Sounds great. Um, you know, I, I think you're you got a whole new sort of uh, level up with the show that that you're going to find with this new gear. Um, I'm super excited for you, man. Uh, it, it's going to be really cool. Me too. Thank you, Murph. Thank you for being the first caller. Uh, let's listen to Anthony's response to all your questions. Well, Murph, those are great right. questions. I, I really, really appreciate calling in. They're really so important. You know, one of the things that I want to look at, um, it's really I, almost ironic, is the first audit that needs to be done is an audit of the auditor's office. So the current auditor, Suzanne Bump, and again, the auditor has to audit every state agency. And she admitted recently that they only audit about 70% of them. Right? And that's unacceptable. You have to audit 100% of them. And there are repercussions when you don't, you know, you have a real, the people are really deprived of important information and oversight when it doesn't happen. So the first thing is to audit the auditor's office and to bring in a truly independent auditor. Now, I know Diana, for instance, talks about bringing in the National Association of Auditors. Uh, that's all fine, but as auditor, you're a member of that association. That's not independent. You need a, a blue ribbon commission of true experts to come in and tell you really Here's what your problems are in this office. Here's why they're failing by 30% to get the work done that needs to be done, right? So the tax money that's being spent on the auditor is really important. Number two, I think, Murph, this might really be of interest to you. There are two states in the nation that have um, state budgets the size of ours, Illinois and Pennsylvania. In those states, the auditor's office is budgeted at $42 million a year in both states. In Massachusetts, it's budgeted at 21 million, half, right? And the reason is because the legislature doesn't want you to have an auditor who is robust in really digging and finding problems. There's no incentive for it. And that's why the auditor in Massachusetts has been a Democrat for 80 years. 80 years we've had a Democrat as auditor. Wow. You need someone that's truly independent, right? So that the second part of your question was so important and, you know, I can sit here and say, I believe in transparency and I'll get the word out to the people. We're going to create a website. Yes, this is all true. But if I just do it the way it's traditionally done by talking to the Globe and talking to WBUR and, you know, doing a Sunday morning show, the people are not going to be informed. Now, during my campaign, I've made it a mission to try very hard to talk to people from diverse audiences, from audiences that wouldn't typically have a Republican. And Mike, thank you again for this. And I'm out there and I'm on talking to Latino newspapers and radio shows in uh, Chinese television in Boston Black Radio. But here's the important part. I 
pledge to you and to all people that if I'm elected, I will be a regular guest on these shows, talking to them. I'm not just going to use them trying to get votes. I want to talk to their communities. I'll be back on this show if Michael have me and talk about cannabis and talk about anything else he wants to talk about. Well, I'll be back, on, be back back on Boston Black Radio regularly talking to the community so that they know. So it's not incumbent upon the taxpayer to chase me down and ask questions. I think the auditor should be aggressively going out to the community and hold, if I'm elected, hold me to this because you will see an auditor like you've never seen before who's talking to you in every way he can so that you're informed. That's the best enforcement branch, Murph. The best way is that people hold their legislators accountable based on the information that I can provide to them. Murph, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, so much of what Massachusetts uh, needs in our state government. I mean, we have, you know, we have a reputation for being such a liberal state, but the way our government works is so geared to just a conservative kind of overall ideology of government, like where, you know, the, the maybe it's more by norms than by actual government mechanisms, but it just seems so closed off from the people and so cloistered up on Beacon Hill. And anything to start breaking that is is going to just, you know, is going to start to align with all of the progressive stuff in Massachusetts that comes from the people, not not from the government, you know? Yes, and this is why I hope that your listeners will consider voting for me, despite the R after my name, because you need that government friction. You need checks and balances on Beacon Hill, right? And listen, uh, I mentioned Diana is going to be on the show. She's a state senator. And I just mentioned the point about the budget, right? Uh, ours is only $21 million. This past budget cycle, I went through a state senator and introduced a budget increase for the auditor. The auditor didn't do it. And, and I like Diana, but she's a state senator and she didn't do it and she didn't vote for it either. And now she's saying she wants to increase the budget there, right? Because these things happen behind closed doors, Murph. Um, look at how many times the legislature does things by voice vote, right? They don't want to be on record about what they voted for. This has got to change, and that's why you need an independent person to be auditor. Now, let me ask Murph a question. Because I know you, you're, you're pretty left. You're pretty liberal. You're talking about the liberals and you're talking about the conservatives. I have a feeling oh, yeah. you might yeah. even know about this race. Like it's, you know, right now you have two really good Democrats. I think uh, Diana DiZaglio. Some people don't like her as much because of some of her votes and her record. Like, uh, uh, you know, even even Anthony is you know referring to. But I, I think she's a quality person. I like her. She got a lot of what Anthony has. She's very responsive. I feel like uh, she would actually respond to me just like Anthony would uh, if she's in office, which she has. Um, and you also have Chris Dempsey, who's like, you know, the Bernie uh, left wing, totally more progressive guy running for Democrat. So we don't know who the, who's going to win the Democratic primary, but one of them. And then you have like the hardcore uh, socialist, I believe the socialist worker who's going to also be on the ballot. And you have Anthony Amore. Who are you going to vote for? Like, have you made up your mind? Would you even consider at this point voting for an Anthony Amore or even a Republican in this uh, lifeline of Donald Trump? Where are you at? Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, I would, you know, I think uh, being that I am, you know, on the, the left on on pretty much all issues, um, I mean, to me, the modern, anybody with an R next 
their name kind of, to me, has the baggage of, like, what the Republican Party, to me, stands for is, like, anti-truth, um, you know, anti, like, anti-norms of government, like, chaos. You get it. Know? So, like, so who, and maybe it what does like that I'm mean? exaggerating a little bit, but, what that? We get it. So what? What does that mean? Like, where are you going to vote? Like, where do you? What, what, how are you feeling so, about? Okay. It? So, so that. Yeah, yeah. No. All right. So I'm getting there. So for for somebody like Anthony, like I'm not getting that 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 MAGA Trumpist a, any of that. You know. So I can fairly dispose of that. You know, knee jerk. Every Republican wants to tear the system down. Um, but uh, I and I'm I, I like what he's saying that, you know, I think um, the transparency and, you know, and just bringing transparency to how our our system of government works, you know, like how the legislature works, if that's in the auditor's purview, I think would be would be very meaningful. So I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot that I like. Um, Diane DiZaglio would is is my candidate. Um, I think her her career, her, her kind of life story, um, and you know, her responsiveness, no, she's not maybe the most progressive, but I don't know. I mean, like does progressivism matter as much in the auditor's office? You know, like you're trying to find the truth as an auditor. It shouldn't matter too much what letter you have beside your name or where you lean on the political spectrum. So, but uh, the other candidates I'm unfamiliar with, um, this is the first I'm hearing of, of Anthony uh, and, you know, and the, the things that his ideas and what he would do with the office. Um, but uh, uh, yes, uh, Diane DiZoglio, I was familiar with uh, before, you know, the show tonight. Thank you. What do you got last in, in part to, to Murph, Anthony? Well, you know, I, I think that um, I agree with Murph. Diana is a quality person. And I want you guys both to know I wrote an uh, op-ed for Commonwealth Magazine, I don't know, a month or so ago, talking about how I don't think my opponents are evil. This whole, you know, that's something you see on both sides. Is That was another reason I wanted you on the show, because I saw you. that. Yeah, it's and, ridiculous. And that is huge, considering who... You saw our, our intro and some of the people we had <laughs> in our video yeah. of folks that aren't necessarily fans of ours and we're not fans of theirs. Uh, yeah, I don't like the culture yeah, I, war yeah, stuff. I will say, I will, yeah, I, I will say that just the, the very fact that, you know, Anthony is coming on this show um, speaks volumes of, of the willingness to, you know, cliches reach across the aisle, but I would say more like reach out and try and talk to the people. So, uh, but go ahead. Well, you know, I, I this one of the, my favorite parts of the campaign is that, you know, my my goal is to not keep talking to the same audience every night. You know, I could go talk to Republicans every night and they'll all clap for me. And stuff. one of the really hard things, to be honest with you, and this is why I'm so effusive and my thanks to you, Mike, for having me on, is that we try really hard to put together events for unenrolled and Democrat people just to come and listen to me like, hey, we'll we'll have cocktails and I'll have food for you. Just come listen to me. And people just won't. And we've had a few and they've been really successful. But um, I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, Marianne Marsh said it on, on uh, Channel 5, you know, we need more Republicans. I hope more Republicans like Anthony run for office. And I want to say to them, why? You would never, you are committed to never supporting someone like me. Why do you want more people like me to run? And it should be because you just want balance. 
checks and balances on Beacon Hill right now. Uh, Diana, I, I think, um, you know, she's got that strong union backing and I understand why you would be attracted to her as a candidate. Um, Chris Dempsey is painted as the progressive now. I have to say he had, I, I jokingly say, and it's, I don't think I, this is an attack on him as a person, but his resume is Mitt Romney's resume. He went to Harvard Business School, Bain, Goldman Sachs, and now he's the progressive candidate all of a sudden. I'm the candidates that, that the only one that's done the job for 30 years and I've run big organizations and God bless them, but Diana and Chris haven't done that. They've never done either audits or run big organizations. And you can't you can't learn this job on day one. You can't go in and say, okay, now how do I run a, an organization? You have to be able to do it on day one. We're already starting behind the eight ball. I mentioned 30% of the audits go undone, right? So. You need someone that can do it on day one, and I'm the only one that can. Oh, man, I'm loving this today. I am loving it. Uh, it you're like going after my own people, but you're giving us the quotables. I mean, I, Chris Dempsey, I will say some great positive things about him. He's a big-time transportation expert. I think mm -hmm. uh, probably the leading advocate for public transportation in the state. He's very effective at it, I feel like. Uh, so those are definitely positives and, and why a lot of people on the left, progressive, uh, so I like him. I think he's also good with the green movement, the renewables. Um, and also I'll mention his, he did, you know, I don't know who actually led the whole program, but he was definitely a key component of uh, blocking uh, Mayor Walsh at the time, his uh, misguided effort to bring the Boston Olympics to Boston. So Bravo. Yep. I, I will agree. give him those too. I so, will too. And I, I, I don't want it to seem like I'm making attacks, but I'm just saying, you know, you have, my opponents are only in Massachusetts. Massachusetts could you have a split amongst Democrats between like the union person and the establishment person. Um, and there being such a rift between the two. Um, but I'm the one, I'm the experienced person. I'm the one that's done the job. And it seems elementary to me. I often say if this was a civil service job and the three of us submitted resumes, the two Democrats wouldn't get an interview, right? But politics is a strange thing where you can uh, let the people pull a lever and uh, decide you're the one for the job. And, and uh, unlike the people that Murph was describing from the Republican side, I believe the results of elections. Right? I think I that's huge. That is that I, I, you know, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Murph, for calling in. I, I really appreciate you calling in tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Um, again, Mike, awesome, awesome to see the, the show kind of leveling up, getting the callers going again. Uh, and you got a great guest on tonight. Um, you know, the the auditor office and, you know, they say like all politics is local. And it's like, that's why we need people engaged in voting, because these are the offices that matter the most. And my, I think of uh, giving a space for our local politicians to Get, get out there, get their message out there, and hear from the people. So keep up the good work, man. Thank you, Murph. Yeah, that was a good call, a good first call on the new system. I'm really excited about uh, just everything. We're getting back at the right time, right in the middle of an election. Anthony Amori here, first time on the show. I always like first-time guests. Uh, I also like the repeat guests. We already, I, I think we both decided he's going to come back on the show. Anthony Amori is running for Massachusetts State Auditor. We're taking your phone calls if you want to call in as well. Uh, we've got a brand new phone number. You can read it on the bottom of the screen. It's scrolling. I'll probably read it off in a second again. 
But I want to I want to get back because uh, Donna Hackett, a good friend of mine, she's a medical cannabis patient. Uh, she says a higher tax rate on cannabis is discriminatory. I know we we're talking a lot about cannabis, but I don't know if we actually got to the point where, you know, how you feel about the tax rate. Would you be supportive of lowering the cannabis tax rate to at least make it what we voted on uh, in 2016 or exactly what the new can uh the new uh, gambling tax is going to be on sports bet sports well, betting. Let, let me say directly to Donna's point. Um, I don't discount what she's saying at all about it being discriminatory, but I, I just need a little more like, in, in, I'm not saying it's not, but in what way is it discriminatory? Does she mean that just simply it's discriminates against cannabis users because it's higher? Or does she mean in some way it affects different communities? And I need some clarification on that. Well, I, th- I think she feels like it's higher because it's discriminatory. Like that's, Against. you know, like how can you have, a, we, we voted for something that we said tax it like alcohol, mm-hmm. not tax like alcohol. True. Right? We voted for something to, you know, to, and, and they, the first thing they did was raise the tax. And it's basically the highest tax that I can find in the state on any product. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I'm sure uranium or something is probably higher tax, but I don't know. So I can't the, find anything. So the legislature voted a higher tax on it after it passed right at an initial rate of the same as alcohol uh, you know the campaign called it that i don't think it was actually the same as alcohol i think it was always higher than alcohol when you really look at it um, but what the campaign and the law uh said was basically that the tax would be very similar almost the exact same as what governor baker and the legislature just passed for the gambling for the sports is, gambling what is the it's about 15 percent in sports gambling there's like two different taxes one is like on site and the other one is uh off site i can't remember exactly which is which but it's about 15 percent. i think was the max tax on that casino game on the uh sports gambling mm-hmm. so why can't we have something like that for cannabis like why what does is- it have to be right now well it depends on who you ask and when it was because again the massachusetts government uh this the legislature just did pass a new law that's going to change some of it on the local level the local level it was supposed to be three percent but the towns went and said we're going to ask for ten (laughs) percent you know like the towns basically said we're going to ask for what we feel like we're going to ask for three percent plus a new fire truck we're going to ask three percent plus a half a million to a charity that we like like that's this is the stuff that's been going on yeah and and basically the CCC came back and said, well, I know it says 3% in the law is the max on the local, but it doesn't really spell it out enough legally, so we can't do anything about that. And so the state finally changed that, and it's going to be limited. So part of the taxation is actually going to come down a little bit, hopefully. And that's basically the local extra extortion that was probably never even legal. <laughs> so there's state taxes, local taxes, there's extra taxes, there's income tax. like." it's over 15 percent. like i'd like to just see it at 15 percent. can we just cap it can we just say you know everyone's going to get a slice we know there's an equity program we know the cities and towns need money cap it 15 percent. like why does it have to be 20 plus or even maybe it's only 20 now i mean i'm not sure exactly where it's going to fall but it's more than 15. well you know i think i would answer donna's question then in a from a macro level and say without a doubt the most fundamental part of a taxation program, regardless if it's around cannabis, real estate, 
automobiles, you name it, is fairness, right? So fairness should be the guiding principle when uh, taxes are implemented. It shouldn't be, um, uh, I'm sorry, just going to trip looking at that. Oh, you're reading the comment? I'll read it. Yeah. Uh, Laura Pespiza writes, and it's medicine for people, whether they have medical card or not. So basically, yeah, that's my thing too. You know, a lot of people assume adult use is just people getting high. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that do just get high. But a lot of folks, even on the adult use side, are using it for medical issues. They don't have a card. It's just like going into CVS and, yep. you know, using a Tylenol because you're sick, you got a headache. Uh, you don't need a prescription for all medicine. So a lot of the adult use that is taxed is medicine too. I, yeah, Lauren, that's such a great point. So I, I do have a friend, I obviously wouldn't mention his name, but he was an athlete and suffered a bunch of, he was a serious athlete and, and suffered a bunch, bunch of injuries and he just refuses to take pills. Um, and he, he, I hate to use the term self-medicates because there's a stigma attached to that, but he chooses to use cannabis to deal with the pain and it works for him. Um, so you wonder why he should be taxed um, so aggressively when he's doing something that, like Lauren rightly points out, is used medicinally. You know, uh, ibuprofen is a, a medicine, too, even though you can buy it over the counter. So, but as I was saying, it's just the idea that any tax that we implement should be based in fairness. So I, I totally get the point that uh, Donna brought up and, and the excellent point from Lauren. Thank you, Anthony. Um so you so it sounds like you'd be open to look at that and just you want more information you're open to looking at that oh absolutely i mean that's the auditor's job the auditor you know i personally believe that the auditor shouldn't go in with his own ideologies the auditor should go in and say here's uh here's a, a state agency what problems are affecting the people the most right what how can we how can we audit this agency with the maximum impact for the taxpayer right and are they complying with the law or aren't they and where is their waste, fraud, and abuse? And whether it's how, you know, we, we did, we brought something up related to the CCC a few months ago because there was a news story showing that um, there was a breach of data held by the company that does background investigations. And some of the background checks they do were for, um, uh, related to the CCC. And so the, we're very concerned about that because we know the background checks that the commission has are very, very intensive and personal. Um, so when we looked into it, we found that in its nearly six-year history, the Cannabis Control Commission has never been audited, and agencies need to be audited every three years. Now, there, there's one underway now, and to the auditor's credit, it wasn't because we brought it up. They had just started it, but six years have gone by before anybody's taken a look at this agency, right? That's not serving the taxpayers well, and thanks to you, there are a heck of a lot of things that need to be looked at, and um, I think one of the great things that I can offer is that as auditor, I will be looking for voices like yours, Mike, and like your audiences to say, hey, listen, there's 209 state agencies. Anthony and Maury cannot know the intricacies of every one of them, nor can Diana or Chris. You can't, no one person can. Um, in fact, there's argument as, this is amazing, there's an argument as to how many state agencies there are. Find someone who can give you a definitive number. Think about that, right? This, Goliath of a government structure we have. So you have to turn to people in these um, communities to ask them, say, hey, what would you audit if you had the, uh, the, the, the authority granted by the taxpayer? And I think that's an essential part. And that's why I spoke to you, Mike, about hey, what, what things jump out at you. And there are a lot. 
right? right. And, um, that's a useful perspective. And some of the things I suggested, obviously, were, were you know, how much time does the CCC spend on uh, supporting workers in the industry, which I think is so unrepresented. They don't have a voice uh, so often, the workers and the patients, too. Like, how much time? It seems like most of the time for the CCC is spent on the corporations. And I also felt like, uh, you know, with the CCC investigations, how much time, you know, is spent on these investigations of, uh, you know, cannabis companies when there's mold and, you know, how long do these investigators stay at the company, stay at the CCC? Like what's the turnover rate? Because it seems like there's a high turnover rate in the industry and I'm imagining the CCC too. And I wonder, uh, how many of the, the investigators, the people who are supposed to be investigating the cannabis control, you know, with the cannabis control commission supposed to be investigating, the dispensaries when they do something wrong i want to know how many of them are ending up working for this dispensaries after they leave the state is that something you could also look at oh that's such a great that that last one really made my ears perk up i mean that is a really great perspective something to look at uh, people going from uh, i mean we i mean we, I, look at you know i want to mention just uh cannabis control commissioner who i'm not saying there's anything nefarious going on i think he's a i like the guy Hoffman. And he, again, he was another Bain Capital guy, a former Bain Capital guy. But he was one of the first commissioners. He actually lasted the longest, it seemed like, from the first term of them. Um, but he recently is is going to be uh, working for a cannabis company, and they're going to be uh, probably offering services and, you know, vending, ser you know, services to a lot of the companies that he used to regulate, which is very interesting. Uh, so we're even seeing it among the commissioners. Well, you know, there's, um, I think there's something to be looked at when you have a person that works for state government and then capitalizes on something they implement at the state government level, it goes right over to the private sector and makes a heck of a lot of money based on what they did there. So um, I think that's an interesting um, um, question and you really, really piqued my interest with that one. Excellent. We're speaking to Anthony Amore. He's running for Massachusetts State Auditor. He's a Republican. I, I'm doing something tonight I said I wouldn't do, which was have a Republican on. It's the first time since 2017. I want to bring something up. My friend Elmo, who uh, passed away recently, a couple, you know, during the COVID time frame, uh, definitely miss that guy. He was hilarious. When we had uh, the Republican on the show, John Hugo, I mean, we've had quite a few Republicans in the past, but he was the last one since you, Anthony. And uh, it was right after the Heather Hare thing. And John was a moderate Republican at that point. At least he's told people he was. I wouldn't describe him as moderate right now. Um, but Elmo called in and uh, called him a, a pig. He called him bacon. If, if one of our callers called in and called you bacon right now, would you get totally upset and get mad at me? Oh, God, no. I, I've been called worse. I mean, um, as soon as people see an R, after your name they they call you all sorts of things but uh this is one of the things that drew me to you is that i could just have a conversation with you you know you don't automatically say you're a pig or or something like that because but my callers might that's it okay. has they happened. don't know me they don't really know me though you know yeah. so that's okay i i understand people make, make and that's funny because john hugo acted like it was okay but he really got mad at me like he you're really got mad at me after it was like it was like dude 
I do. I can't control when someone what they say on the air. You know, especially that guy. Elmo. Elmo was like, yeah, I couldn't control him. Good luck trying to control a madman like Elmo. He was like, that guy had so much spirit. He was awesome. That's why I liked him. You know. Well, if you get I would say one thing, he would say nope. I'm going to throw some comments up. I'm not even reading them. I'm just throwing them up. Got to hack it right. Why is it cannabis tax revenues reinvested in cannabis education? That's a good question. Fair question. Lauren Pespiza writes, that revolving door happens in federal government all the time. It happens right, in state Lauren. government, too. Yeah. But you know what? At the federal government level, there are there are a lot more controls. <laughs> I saw your last one. <laughs> You're, um, um, it threw me off that made me laugh. Yeah, I know. Um, I throw the comments up and then you see them. I'll read it off. Lauren Pespiza has another comment she wrote. John Hugo actually fit the description. He fit, well, he's fit a few descriptions. I don't know John well. I, I've met him a couple of times. I will say that um, I didn't know much about his politics when he, I think he ran for Congress back in 2018. Um, I am disappointed to see um, you know this super happy, fun America stuff is not something that, um, that I, I'm a, a big fan of. Um, but Lauren, you mentioned that thing about the revolving door in the feds and there, there are, listen, the federal government has its problems too, but there are a lot of laws in place about what people can do and can't do once they leave the federal government. I used to work in the federal government, there were, you know, different jobs I couldn't go to immediately, immediately out of them, especially in the defense department. Um, so yeah, you know, the, I think, I think the feds might be leading uh, with the state government lagging in terms of um, prohibitions. There are some state laws about things you can't do, but I think um, I think we can do better. Excellent. Excellent comments. Uh, appreciate all of the comments people leave for us. Again, we're the Young Jerks. Our phone number, you know what? Pespiza, if you're listening, call in. I want to I talk to you tonight. 978-560-3155. I already mentioned her earlier. She used to be a, like a... a co-host of ours as well she's a good egg uh she's doing a lot of stuff out there uh donna hackett also writes bravo but do you speak up against maga lies she wants to uh, speak up against uh, yes us. donna and i'll say that um i'm not the biggest uh i am i don't have a lot of fans amongst the maga crowd at all um some of them are willing to say well you know i know you don't support donald trump but um I'll tell you, I was talking to um, a moderate Republican today, and there's this old saying amongst Republicans that came from Ronald Reagan. I said, my, you know, when you talk about people having disputes within a party, you say, like, my 80% friend is not my 20% enemy, is this old expression, right? But nowadays, if that 20% difference means that you're not a Trump supporter, you're their enemy, you know, and I've learned that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've said many times I called for his impeachment. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I, I didn't vote for him in 20, 2016. In 2018, I looked at the two candidates. I think they're both horrible options. And I saw that, um, but I was really worried about the idea of court hacking. And I just felt that Biden's economic plan was terrible. And I've said publicly I voted for Trump, regretted it immediately. And I think I can pretty sure I can back this up with documents that I'm the first Republican to call for his impeachment in Massachusetts and I, because I was called a lot. I remember watching January 6th and being disgusted by what I saw, you know. Um, I should That's say, funny. You're answering the question before we even posted it. From oh, She said she yeah, asked, what about the insurrection? He was the first oh, one horrible. to call it out. 
Well, you were the first says, Republican to call it out. I believe so. I believe um, you were too, because I remember that actually. Yeah, it's just terrible. And I'll tell you, like, um, this might be a little. And we got a call too, so we're gonna take that call. Okay, Let, remind me to come back to the insurrection, though, please. Oh yeah, we'll 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 get back to the re- insurrection. Actually, we'll speak to the next caller because she's totally down on this stuff too. What's up, Lauren Pespiza? Can we hear you yet? I screwed up. This is like a double thing. It's weird. I got to do the road. I got you on it. Can you hear? Oh, I know. I got to turn it up here, too. What's up, Lauren Pespiza? Hey, you know, I wasn't going to call in, but then you're like, Lauren, call in. So Absolutely. here we are. Threw it on the call. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a pretty good conversation so far. Um, I, I guess I was there for the, the last Republican you had on, technically. You were. You were co-hosting uh, that show. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I actually saw him the other day, uh, you know, uh, over in front of the FBI headquarters. Uh, that was a. Uh, oh my God! Did he have the tricorn hat on for? Yeah, he did, and you know what? He has gotten more and more bitter over the years. Let me say that. Um, but you know, uh, was was whatever. It was pretty tame. Um, Actually, I don't know everything a state auditor does, so but I'm kind of learning as I'm listening. Um, do you have any oversight over like DOJ or not DOJ, uh, like uh, law enforcement spending? Yes, yeah, a state at the state level, yes. And if there's state money that goes to localities, yes. But generally speaking, you audit the agency, so you would have. Uh, oversight over uh, corrections. You would have oversight uh, um, authority okay. over state police. Yes. So I don't know if um, if Mike's already brought this up with you. I know that there was a lot of people trying to pass a moratorium on new women's prisons. Uh, the past sort of cycle uh, it hasn't gone anywhere yet. Uh, how, how do you? I mean, how do you feel about like? You know, supporting something like that, you know, if you look at the Department of Corrections, I don't know, it's, it's extremely expensive and it's not really doing anyone that much good. Um, how would you feel about auditing stuff like that? Because I feel like there's a whole lot of pork there. Well, there's a lot to look at. There's absolutely a lot to look at. Here's my thought of this. My first instinct, and I'm going to cite Governor Baker because he, he gave me a little bit of a mind change on this. My first instinct was like, yeah, we don't need more. Uh, the, from the last I checked, and this was uh, before before the COVID um, release of some prisoners, prison the prison system in Massachusetts is not packed to the gills, um, according to their um, you know how many people they're allowed to keep and how many people were in. Uh, so I would support that. But then the governor made a good point in that the latest iteration of that call for ending um, new construction was too restrictive in the sense that if you needed to build something maybe better because something wasn't good enough or whatever reason you might have, you wouldn't be able to, <clears throat> excuse me, and then you might be really doing, this is sound strange, so bear with me, but you might be doing a disservice to the prisoner because you might be keep them, keeping them in a facility that's subpar. So I, know, that, and I, I mean, that place is a crap hole. I think Lauren actually knows yeah, I mean, that yeah, personally. Yeah, that place is falling apart. I literally, I literally got Giardia there. I yeah. mean, I audit the hell out of Framingham. But, um, Lauren, you know, was actually, is, uh, Lauren had a drug issue, a drug conviction, drug issue. Is that fine to say that, Lauren? Obviously, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. She, I'm a proud long-term recovery. So. She was in the prison, so she knows a lot about it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, can I just tell you? I'm going to be t- tell you something revealing about myself that I haven't said publicly before. But um, I have two brothers, and both of them were in the prison system. Um, my older brother was in the state prison system in Rhode Island, and he passed away from a fentanyl overdose a few years ago. Yeah. My younger brother was um, in federal prison for um, marijuana distribution. Really? So, yes. So what prison? Um, like federal? Uh, you said federal, federal prison. prison? Yes. Yep. Wow. So he got some uh, weight. How much? Did you know, like, how much? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Uh, how many years there. do you think he'd get? Under 10. Um, I, I, I'm honest, honest to God, I can't remember what his Like five to was. 10 year type sentence? Yeah, it was more than five. Yeah. His sentence was more than five, I recall. Yeah, that's was, a serious sentence. Yes. And listen, so the reason I tell you this is because I understand not just what prisoners go through, but what families go through. And people right. don't realize this. You know, when people talk about, I'll give you an example. When people complain, you know, tax dollars shouldn't go for the phone calls that prisoners make. Well, you know who does pay that? The families, the innocent families who you, you need to make sure that prisoners have maintain a relationship with their loved ones, even when they're incarcerated. I mean, imagine these families that can't, you know, these, it's such an expense. It was a major expense on my parents. Um, yeah, Donna, I'm probably saying too much, yeah. but it is a major expense. On so, my you, so you support, you support, I support no calls then. I do. I do support because that. Because that was saw, also in the state house. Yeah, I saw, I saw how that impacted my family. Um, and, you know, it's not all yeah. about my family, but I lived it so I could see, boy, these phone calls were extremely expensive. What are you going to do? Your, your, your son calls? You're going to say, I can't afford this? You're gonna... Right. And then the alternative is that this prisoner has no contact with their loved ones, right? And maybe their loved ones aren't in state and can't visit them easily. So, yeah, I do support that. I think we have to think when a person's incarcerated, they're not the only ones impacted, and we have to think about it more holistically. Wow, we're finding out a, a lot that makes, you know, I'm – I'm undecided. Yeah, that's a good point. answer. You know, I'm, I'm really undecided because I, I like your background. English major. I was a history major. I like people who like words and books and things like that right from the go. A lot of people would just go, I want to be an MBA. I want to get my business degree, which is probably the smart thing. But <laughs> I like folks that do English and history and philosophy and things like that because I Me think too, right. already you're thinking about things in the world uh, from the get-go. Uh, you have such an interesting background. I, I, I like it. I definitely like it. Lauren, you like it? How do you feel right now? Uh, you're also someone I, mean, that I would say is totally left wing. If you're going to vote. Yeah, I'm pretty, le- pretty let's left Let's say it's a general election. I, I, you know, it's Diana DiZoglio versus, versus Anthony. Where, where are you going to go? I literally don't even know about Diana. So I don't know. I mean, yeah. if they're going to be like, you know, let all the prisoners free, maybe not. But I mean, I'm very impressed far as you know uh republicans go um you know you seem like a reasonable person compared to most republicans running in massachusetts i'm sure you would agree with me there um uh so yeah i mean you know i'm i'm still undecided but i'm i'm liking this conversation especially that you brought up the no cost calls that is a uh that is a good talking point you know exactly what you're doing Thank you. Family that spends this is awesome too lauren all all yeah having understanding of that Oh, it's so hard. You know, I, I talk to my brother sometimes and say, you know, when you see, he doesn't live around here anymore. But and and let me just add too, he's like the exception. There's no recidivism, and he's living a really great life, and he really turned it, he turned it all around when he get out of prison. Brilliant, right? But um, 
you know, I asked him, I said, hey, how do you feel knowing that you went to prison for something that, you know, is legal now? And it's hard for him to take it. Now, listen, please hear me. There are people that are incarcerated for worse crimes and un- incorrectly. So I'm not likening it, liking it to you. There's people that are in for murder and don't get out after, you know, 30 years and, and that sort of injustice. But, you know, to talk to my brother and think, um, man, he he lost years off of his life and the, the, the repercussions of having been in prison. Um, forever. Over things, forever, over things that are, that things that are essentially legal. I don't think what he did would be considered legal now, but it's marijuana, right? So it's. I don't think it should have ever been illegal. Right. right. And never. Yeah. Like it just, it's ridiculous. Well, it was a crisis. For, you know, it, again, Donna said I'm an open book, but why not? I mean, we're talking about this topic. I, I remember him being arrested and the charges he was facing and the time he was facing and thinking, you know, you go into the federal courthouse, and this is the family's perspective, and you see USA versus Joseph Amore. And you're like, the United States of America against right. my little brother, right? <laughs> right. And, and my, the impact of my mother when she saw him come out shackled, right? Oh. And my mother wailing in the courtroom. And then, you know, I was fed at the time. And the, the, the feds who arrested him looking at me like, you know, I'm thinking, wondering what are they thinking of me? And, but they knew I wasn't involved because they were surveilling him. But um, the impact on the family is so intense and thinking, boy, this is all over a plant. But um, uh, it, it's, I, 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 I'm struck by what Donna said about being an open book. But, you know, if you're going to run for public office, I think people, I, I want people to know I'm not just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty socially liberal. And, uh, but the part of me that's a Republican happens to be the part that makes me really well suited to be auditor. And that is really believing that government should stay in its lane and be effective in as small as possible, right? Still providing the services. I totally believe in social safety nets, being kind to people, being soft on people, um, hard on problems, but, um, but, but making sure it's done effectively and efficiently and with people's freedom at the forefront. You know, I think that's where we probably most agree in that, you know, at the root of all this yeah. is freedom. it's freedom and making sure that government is not impeding freedom what do you think lauren yeah you know i agree with that and also you know not being tipped towards the people who already have a lot no you listen know, making sure things are things make sense you know making sure things aren't aren't this you know i mean i feel like our entire system is tipped towards the you know the haves versus the have not but you know being what you said about fairness and everything you know that that that, that means a lot so. oh yeah the fairness is important you know we talked about my background and and um you know people see my resume and they think well he was a fed and he went to harvard and he works at a beautiful art museum but i grew up between two housing projects in providence rhode island i didn't grow up with anything and um, I, I, I mentioned on the radio the other day when I took the bus into high, I went to like the, the smart kid high school, but out of a tough neighborhood, right? I was the only big kid on the bus, the city bus going into school, you know, it was, I didn't, I did not grow up in a privileged neighborhood or a privileged life, despite the things I'm surrounded by today. Thank you so much for calling in Lauren Pispiza. Yeah, good to talk to you. All right, take care. I'm enjoying this so far. This is this is really interesting and enlightening. So I appreciate both of you. I always appreciate you. She's uh, at Splendid Spoon 
on Twitter. Everyone can follow her. She's a, a star in her own right. People know who she is. Thank you, Lauren. She's a force. All right, take care. Lauren's a force on Twitter. I know this. <laughs> yeah, she is a force. She, <laughs> she both pisses off and uh, I think they like her. Like they, they both hate her and love uh, her, the Nazis in, in the area. They're like upset. Like AOC, it's like She's like that local AOC at this point. People are like obsessed with Lauren. It's funny. Uh, Anthony, I want to thank you so much for being here tonight and answering all the questions, especially from uh, two of my great friends. And actually, uh, more than two. We got Donna Hackett, too. She's awesome. I want to thank everyone who's been listening and commenting and the phone calls. It's our first ever with phone calls in like, I don't know, three, four years. This is awesome. I'm so excited. We have a new Very system cool. here. I'm still learning it. I'm still not comfortable with it, but I feel like give it a couple shows. I'm going to be good to go. Anthony, I mean, it's been going easy, right? I mean. Oh, smooth as silk. Great job. Hour and 14 minutes. We're, we're like done. You did everything. You like answered all the questions. No one called you a pig. <laughs> Yeah, well, you, you haven't turned into super happy fun America after the show. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, speaking of the straight pride parade, I, I should mention I'm the first Republican in history to be endorsed by the log cabin Republicans, the LGBTQ plus Republicans in Massachusetts history. Um, what year was that? This year. I was. Oh, I this was, year. Yep. I wear the, the pin proudly. Um, I know you've run a few times. I'm just, you know, yep. I like to. No, I ran once before. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you know, I, I, here's what I want to say. That's most important. You know, we talked about my experience. We talked about how I'm the most. I talked about how I'm the most experienced person in the race, and I talked about my opponents, and I think they're good people. But I have to say that it, this has been so much fun for me because Lauren and Donna via text and Murph and you open-minded enough just to listen to me maybe none of you will vote for me but it's a real re really kudos to you guys for saying well i'm going to listen to the guy and not outright say you know oh my god how can you listen to someone with an r after their name and it's a, it's a credit to you guys and if none of you vote for me i appreciate the fact that you at least gave me um an hour and 14 minutes and you, and you lent me your ear um, and if you will vote for me i would love it and if you think people should consider me I hope you tell them because I'd love to talk to them. Awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Uh, I feel the same way about you on this because, you know, a lot of Republicans at this point probably won't come on the show. <laughs> Let's be serious. Uh, just because they think I'm going to attack them. I mean, I have, you know, if you watch our intro video, uh, I did do an ambush interview with uh, another Republican candidate who, you know, he could he could have done what you did and just said yes I'll I'll answer your questions but he didn't so I decided to ambush him at that point <laughs> but uh you know I had a bone to pick too he wasn't nice to my friends you know so mm -hmm. and and I wanted to ask him questions about that night and, and I did ask him questions with the ambush so I mean that worked out I know a lot of Republicans probably won't come on the show but you did and I really uh, do respect that I like the fact that you answer quickly you know you you just I asked you and you were like yeah. Let's do it. Oh, you're like excited. As, yeah. you know, oh, it wasn't, totally even, looking forward to it it wasn't even a campaign manager to contact or anyone to check with you. Just like, yeah, let's pick yeah, a date. So psyched. And when I told my campaign manager, like, yes, definitely go. It's diverse audiences. That's our mantra. We have to get out to talk to people who 
wouldn't normally just pull the switch for us because if I want 9.7% of the vote, then I'll just talk to the Republicans, but I want to win and I want to talk to everybody. So thank you. Yeah. Lauren says stand up guy. And that's, I'll, I'll say that as well. Thank uh, you. you know, I'll also say too, like, I think one of your most persuasive arguments tonight for me, and I think for a lot of people, and probably what got Charlie Baker in for two terms is that balance that you're talking about. Because I've seen it so much uh, for years where there is uh, a problem, even when it's your party, you, that you want to win when they have such a monopoly for so long. It, it, it starts to just alienate people and it starts to not be, it's not good. It's not, it, whether, who, it doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat. It's just not good when one party wins every time and there's no races, there's no challenges, there's no new ideas. It's not democracy. You know, yeah, because sometimes the Republicans are right about some things, and sometimes it's the Democrats. Like I feel like the Democrats and the and the left for the last years, we need more of them and more of what they're offering because there's so you know I feel like the right doesn't address the issues like the left does, you know, mm-hmm. with real solutions that will actually help people. But I feel like myself, I'm a moderate, and I I really feel like uh, we need both parties we can't just be republicans we can't just be democrats like we need it real uh campaigns as many campaigns freedoms of ideas sometimes a democrat is the best candidate the best person sometimes they're terrible i mean there have been a lot of campaigns where i've been against the democrat uh you know especially in the primaries obviously you know and it what i mean is uh, the democrat by the incumbent you know like mayor walsh you know I, I, I like Mayor Walsh on a lot of issues on labor, but on the cannabis stuff, I really had an issue with him. And, uh, you know, sometimes having other campaigns like Tito Jackson, who was a Democrat, that really did help uh, the issue get heard. And and Mayor Walsh actually became a better mayor because of it. And I think sometimes even when your campaigns win, they're better if they're challenged, whether it's from in a primary or a with uh, an opposing candidate so oh, listen i had the same conversation today i'm sorry to keep you but i have to say when you have a race where you know people are talking about the gubernatorial race where maura healy's allegedly going to run off with it right by 30 or 40 points that doesn't even serve her well because that's not even a mandate that's just a, a blowout and you know you have it has to be competition when when you and i were both young in school one of the first things we learned about the good part of American government is checks and balances, right? And Governor Baker gave me this great uh, term, government friction. And that's really important. And I I like the term friction because it's not, uh, you're the bad guy, I'm the good guy, you're evil, I'm, you know, virtuous. It's friction, it's some pushback. It's like, all right, well, let's look at this. It's not just acquiescence. And you're exactly right. I I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that I would be saying this if it was all Republicans. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Having a one-party state doesn't work. It's bad for it's bad for democracy. It's people aren't fairly represented. There's not competition of ideas. It's just, you know, uh, maintaining the status quo. It does not work well. Awesome. How can people, if if they're interested, they want to support you, where can they find out more information about you, Anthony? I know you're on Twitter. You're on Facebook. You got websites. Tell us where. Sure. So I'm on all of the social media platforms, Anthony Amore, A-M-O-R-E, like the screen says. Uh, my website is amore2022.com. We're very responsive 
if you email us, if you sign up to volunteer, if you donate, you're going to hear back from us. Uh, it's amari2022.com. And it's the same thing. You can find me very easily on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, uh, good or bad. I, I'm open to hearing what you have to say. You also mentioned uh, earlier the show, uh, Medical Cannabis, that one of your friends with an old athlete with injuries, that's me. I mean, I've also had cancer. <laughs> but uh, really how I became a medical cannabis patient was from uh, sports, wrestling specifically, amateur wrestling. Um, and it's funny, too, uh, you know, because I'm bringing that part up again. But I, I think the election thing, right, from my old coaching days and even my coach, who I kind of learned, he was a badass but I, I always felt like he would uh, give us some easy opponents the first few matches. And then right before the tournaments or the playoffs, you'd have every single hard opponent. Because, you know, that gets, you know, you, you're not going to be great mm-hmm. by facing nothing. Like, and that's the thing with Mara right. Healy, I, I fear, is that, you know, she has no opponent now. So it's so easy for her. There's no momentum builds. There's no uh, changes or challenges to policy. She, she's not even talking. What is she talking about right now? She's talking about Trump, I guess. I mean, she she's just going to coast to victory probably. But uh, it, I just feel like uh, we really need that competition like you were talking about. I'm an athlete. Competition is good, especially uh, when you go into something bigger. You know, you go into a tournament. You're going into office in a new position. You know, you should get a little challenge leading up to it. Oh, you have to have your feet have to be held to the fire, especially if you're a policymaker or you're in governance. I mean, my God, if they're not, why, you know, power is so corrupted. What, what, why, what, what assurity do we have that you're not going to just do with it? Whatever the heck you feel suits you because no one's holding your feet to the fire. That is so dangerous for democracy. It's funny because that's one of the biggest issues for Democrats is democracy, and you're you're using it to say vote for a Republican, and yeah. I'd say you're somewhat effective. So we'll see if it works, Anthony. It's it's very interesting. Uh, I would say you know out of all the statewide candidates, you you would I, you think I'm foolish to say this that you probably have one of the better chances of winning. I mean, it's probably oh, yeah. not going to happen. Our if anyone wins, you're probably one of the best chance to win, right? As a Republican. Our, our race will be the closest of, of all the statewide races, yes. Yeah. We're going to put up a heck of a fight. Well, good luck. I, I'm wishing the best of luck, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to more conversations on Twitter and hopefully back on the show. I want to thank you so much for spending so much time with us tonight, Anthony Amore. Total pleasure, Mike. Thanks a million. Anthony Amore, tell us where your website is one more time and uh, all of that. Amore2022.com or on any social media platform, Anthony Amore. Thank you so much. Thanks. We'll see everyone next time. Young Jerks, Mike Crawford, check it out.